So, Mayazumi Roshi is talking about why Zazen. And he starts off with, it is this life. So that's what Zazen is. We sit here in the room, and it, as I mentioned earlier, it does not matter what our history has been. It does not matter our gender. What matters is that we are right here, alive and present. And it is that alive presence that is the foundation for actually our whole world. So when we do Zazen, it's not, there are two aspects of it. One aspect of it is, how do we be completely present? How do we be completely engaged with the great mystery that is our life? If we're not completely engaged with the great mystery that is our life, we are missing something really fundamental. And the way that we are engaged with the great mystery that is our life is with meticulous awareness. One aspect of it. The other aspect of it is that we have to have some aspiration to not just take our fixed idea about what this life is and just say, oh yes, you know, I'm a shalub. You know, I sit around making mistakes and eating bonbons. But that we actually have some aspiration to see the true nature of this life. So Mayazumi Roshi and uh, Shoto Harada Roshi were two kind of opposite teachers. I was reflecting on this after our last conversation. Maizumi Roshi was a, was a flawed person. He was a flawed guy. Um, Harada Roshi, Shoto Harada Roshi, the person who teaches it, so Genji, who I've studied with for 25 years, is the archetypal Zen teacher. Archetypal, you know, he is the straight, erect, he has magnificent calligraphy. As I mentioned, he did this calligraphy back here behind me, the Inso. He, I've seen him travel on an airplane 15 hours, get off the plane, drive for another 12 hours someplace, and then hop out of the car and give a talk and be fresh and bright and engage with students. I've seen him completely ignore jet lag, no matter how where he's traveling. He'll come from Japan to the States, He'll get off the plane, he'll start a session in a few hours, just with no gap whatsoever. Absolutely extraordinary, extraordinary person. Writes books, gives talks, he'll give, you know, six talks in one day to different groups of people. Just an amazing amount of energy. Maizumi Roshi, somebody who dedicated his life to the Dharma, who had enormous, lots and lots and lots of students, um, who, as I mentioned last week, was uh, an alcoholic, at least for part of his life. Uh, you know, it's hard when you say somebody is a thing. You know, you're a thing. There are a few things in our life that actually continue throughout our entire life, in a way. There are moments of great wisdom, and there are moments of great delusion. You can't say you're a deluded person, because there are moments when every single person is filled with wisdom. You can't say you're a this, because that isn't the nature of the, of the human beings. We're not just thises. We're also that's, you know, we've got different sides to us. So Maizumi Roshi was a flawed character, he had lots of sides to him, but he was very devoted to wisdom, very devoted to his students. He had many, many, many hundreds and hundreds of students. So I was reflecting on these two kinds of teachers, which reflect two aspects of Zazen. On one hand, there's the aspect of aspiration, this brilliant, clear, bright-minded, archetypal 
Zen master of Shoto Harada Roshi. Now, if you're going to relate to an archetype, you have to be an archetype in a way to have a good, good connection. If you're going to relate to the archetypal Zen master, you have to be the archetypal Zen student to really have that mesh well. It's like with relationships. Often people will get into bonding patterns and somebody will carry the good mother. Well, if they're holding the energy, if they have to be in the, the energy of the good mother all the time in order to have a relationship with them, you know, you have to have a, you have to be the good son, or the good child, or the good somebody who's, who's relating to them. And then, of course, they, people flip and they become the, the opposing energy. So to, be, to have an archetypal relationship requires kind of a certain energetic pattern on both parts. And it can be either positive or negative. It can flip either way. So you can either love or hate. You can, but it, there's, there's not so much in between. But to have a relationship with a textured, flawed person, you can be a textured, flawed person. So to have a relationship with a textured, flawed person, then you can bring your whole inadequate, broken self to that relationship, and you can learn. So I think both are really important. On one hand, part of our practice is completely accepting that we are these flawed, inadequate people, that we are people who have made mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake, that we have not measured up, not measured up, not measured up, over and over and over again. That is the way it is. On the other hand, we are people who have enormous potential for clarity, and we have moments of brilliant, lucid, penetrating clarity. And my hope for my life and for many of yours is that as we move through this life, as we evolve, we do not become perfect, but the periods of lucidity are, are greater and greater. If we look at it from a larger perspective, everything comes from the same source. Everything is always absolutely lucid. There is nothing that's not. Everything that is revealed, everything that's seen is lucid. So Mayazumi Roshi was the kind of teacher that taught really human beings, that taught textured, flawed human beings. And the nice thing about, you'll see, if any of you have any contact with the White Plum Meeting who, who come, they're very, very, very different people, is Mayazumi Roshi's capacity for accepting and honoring the different kinds of humanity was extraordinary. So we have, <coughs> in part of the White Plum lineage, um, Robert Kennedy, who is a Catholic Jesuit priest. And he has a whole thread of Catholic Zen uh, people who, who practice with him. We have Tetsugan Glassman, Bernie Glassman, who some of you may know, who is a major social activist who travels around the country. And, and he, he likes to say he's the founder of the Order of Disorder. And he'll, he'll pop out his red clown nose and put it on and make a joke anywhere. <coughs> He's also the founder of the Zen Peacemakers Order. And then we have people like Daido Roshi, who is deceased now, and Chosen and me, who have you know, much more organized institutions. Zen Mountain Monastery, Zen Mountain Center, Great Vows Zen Monastery, all of those came out of Maizumi Roshi's. And then we have people who specialize in addiction. We have people who specialize, <coughs> who are chaplains of one sort or another. We have people who are laysen teachers, and we have people who are academicians, and people who are, you know, um, uh, kind of wandering, peripatetic uh, 
teachers. So one of the virtues of Mayazumi Roshi's incredible humanity was that he was able to see men and women and young and old, all sorts of people, all of whom had the potential for wisdom, all of whom had the potential for uh, an awakened eye. And so the white plum reflects this diversity. So we have these two kinds of teachings, and both of which are important to, to each of us, I think. One is we have the, the teaching of aspiration, that we really, it is, we are not satisfied unless we are somehow bringing forth the very best that we can. And how do we do that? We look inside, we see what our potentials is, we see what the world needs, we do our best to offer what little thing we can offer in the most wholehearted, complete way we can do it. And, on the other hand, we have to completely accept this is a flawed human being. That this, in, in our very brokenness, there is something magical. There is something that if we cannot offer our brokenness, if we cannot accept and offer our very brokenness as part of our spiritual practice, something is fundamentally missing, some basic bit of humanity. So this life is the front gate to Buddha Dharma. It's life that we have right here is the front gate. And the life, this life, if we distill it down, we have awareness. Awareness of the form, awareness of feelings, awareness of volition, awareness of consciousness. It is awareness itself that is the essence. And that awareness is not, does not belong to me. It does not belong to you. If we really get right down to awareness, it is one thing. So, continuing with Maizumi Roshi for a moment, the second question naturally follows. Why do you regard Zazen alone as the front gate? Dogen Zenji answers, the great master Shakyamuni Buddha correctly transmitted the splendid method of training in the way. The Tathagatas, Tathagata just means the thus come one. It was an appellation that the Buddha used for himself. It basically just means, I'm here. The Tathagatas of past, present, and future all attain the way by doing zazen. For this reason, it has been transmitted as the front gate. Not only that, but also all the ancestors in India and China have attained the way by doing zazen. Thus, I now teach this front gate to human beings and gods, devas. One of the interesting experiences that, uh, as we practice, as we bring our mind more and more into the present moment, and less and less are obsessed with our view. This is my view. It should look like this. It should look like that. I should be this way. It should be that way. As we're less and less obsessed with our views about things, and we are more and more able to hold a big mind of awareness, more and more able to hold all of the vicissitudes and all the challenges and all the texture of human life that comes towards us, and able to hold all that <clears throat> in awareness, we realize everything is happening all at the same time. It's like we are stepping back and looking at the Earth from a satellite. We've all seen those wonderful pictures. And the whole, everything on the Earth is happening all simultaneously. It's all simultaneously happening in my awareness. All simultaneously. My individual self might know this or that, might focus on this part, won't focus on that part might you know, sort things out in a linear way so we can function. But from the awareness perspective of our own mind, it's all happening at once. It's all happening at once. And so that means that all of the ancestors, all of the Buddhas, 
All of the great wise people are all happening at once right here. So one of the aspects of the spiritual practice, spiritual path, is as we clarify and as we refine, as we look more and more and more deeply, we realize that we are not alone. That all of our ancestors, all of our spiritual ancestors, all of our biological ancestors are in a way vividly present right here. Another way of looking at that same teaching is that we are the culmination of every single thing that has happened in our entire life. We are the culmination. It's not quite the same teaching, but it's almost. We are the culmination. So all of those failures that we had, all those disasters, all those embarrassing moments, all that humiliation, all that hurt, all that pain, all the successes, all the pleasures, all of the, it's all was, it's all, this is the culmination of all of that. And it all has a place right here. So what we find is that if people want to actually heal their past, you heal the present. So when we have deep appreciation for this life, we have deep appreciation for the way things are right here, we then have deep appreciation for everything that led up to it. If people hate their life, they're often thinking, well, if only this hadn't happened or that hadn't happened then I wouldn't have to have this life that I hate. But when we really appreciate this life, we really appreciate this life, we really are willing to sit in our own skin, be part of our own being, then all the things that led up to that, everything, all of it becomes important, becomes vital. And we transform our life from being a series of disasters and failures to a whole series of educational evolutionary steps, all of which were vital and important. We shift our view of what, uh, what, what this life is like. What does the way mean? Maizen Roshi continues. It could also be translated as enlightenment or to enlighten. It means to gain the way, to realize the way, or to attain enlightenment. So enlightenment is an interesting uh, term that we use in, in Buddhism as in general. And it, and it can be looked at in different ways. In one way, it means like you have a dark room and a light turns on and you see what is already there. You see what has been there all the time. That somehow your eye is open. That normally we are looking at things through such a small little lens that we're looking through just the lens of, of my little biology, my little my little um, history, my little uh, karmic conditioning. But to actually take a step back from our karmic conditioning into awareness itself, to actually take a step back into the mind that is aware, the mind that, that actually sees everything, to actually take a step back into this present moment, it looks different. Interesting things may or may not happen, but it looks different. It looks different. It looks the same, and also you see it through a different view. You see it through a different lens. So that, that waking up, that waking up is part of what's uh, a, a, an essential teaching in all of the Buddha Dharma. Throughout the, uh, and that, of course, means to wake up to our life, to wake up to this way that we are walking, this way that we are living, this way that we are leading. You know, in some, in some traditions, they say that Enlightenment happens in the infinite future, 
endless of Cody's, of Kalpa's, of Eons in the future. Well, that may be true because everything is constantly evolving. On the other hand, it's all happening right here, right now. And so we have a little kinsho experience. We have a little experience that we're in session, we're practicing, we, we suddenly shift. We suddenly see things in a little different way, have a little bitty opening to that. And then gradually those openings shift our, our foundation of how we live our life. Dogen Zenji does not say just sit and do not expect to realize or to attain anything. Dogen Zenji does not say just sit and do not to expect to realize or attain anything. Rather, he says, all the Buddhas and Masters did Zazen and attained the way. One of the teachings that I think is a little bit um, dismaying is we have this whole teaching of be here now. And the implication is that, okay, just what you see and just what you're aware of right here, right now, that's it. You know, so you just bring your mind into the present moment and you just open your mind up and just what you see and that's it. It's not, that's only half the picture. It's not quite adequate because it's not that basically it's just looking at things through our fixed views. And our fixed views are not what the Buddha is talking about. Our fixed views and just sitting in our fixed views and sitting in our fixed habits is not what's liberating. The Dharma is liberating. The Dharma is liberating because we shift our view of how things are. Rather, Dogen Zenji says, all Buddhas and Masters did Zazen and attained the way. From Zazen, the way emerges. Attainment is the natural function of Zazen, the natural function of our life. It's not a matter of do not attain enlightenment or do not seek after enlightenment. It happens. But just don't get too crazy about it happening. So, as we practice, there are states of mind. All states come and go. We have an, a, a profound state of mind. It may, may look at the world very differently. Uh, it's like if you ever roll into the roller coaster and you're at the top of one of those hills and you get ready to look down, you have a profound shift in your state of mind. You know, your eyes bug open and you think, why am I here? You know, and then, and then you're down <clears throat> and that passes. You know? But you know something you know something that you didn't know before about a roller coaster. You know something about that trajectory that you didn't know before, whether you had the experience or not. So awakening is in a way like that, that you have a shift. It disappears, of course. It's not as though you walk around all glassy-eyed. But there's a wisdom, a knowing, an experience that you have. It's like driving a car, you know, until you've driven a car, you don't know what it feels like after you've driven a car. You may not be driving a car, but once you've actually driven the car, you have a different relationship to that. Awakening, in a way, is the same thing. Dogen says, enlightenment is as common as eating or drinking. So do not go chasing crazily after it. Just do zazen and make clear what the Buddha Dharma, the one body, is. The Buddha Dharma is the treasury of the true Dharma eye which is no other than the life of each of us. No other than the life of each of us. So when we're talking about appreciate your life, we're talking about practice, whether you're doing chanting, you're doing prostrations, whether you're doing visualizations, whether you're 
studying the, the sutras and the teachings, whether you're doing breath practice or sound practice, whether you're doing practice of all at oneness or practice of, of aware of awareness, or whether you're doing practice of the dreamlike nature of reality, or whether you're doing practice of just this moment, whatever practice you're doing, it is your life. It is the, the vivid life of the Buddhas. It is the vivid life of you. And by paying complete attention, by putting ourselves into it, and forgetting ourselves, forgetting our view, letting go of our view, something opens up. The world shifts. We shift. The world is as we see it. So when we shift the way the world is, the way we see the world, the world shifts. So if we see the world as a dog-eat-dog place, where ISIS and you know, Boko Haram and other groups are just you know, running rampant, the way the world is. If we see the world as an endless evolution, and we happen to be in a juvenile state right now, which you know what teenagers are like sometimes, and this is just a temporary state that's growing toward maturity, it looks very differently. If we see it as bright and luminous, and everything arises in itself in the same place that it's supposed to be, everything arises because of its particular karma. Everything arises in a dreamlike nature and passes through. And we see that clearly. It shifts how we view the world. And the idea is not that I'll view the world the right way, I'll finally figure out the right way, but rather that we have a big awareness that has a textured view that can see, yeah, there's some real problems that we need to solve. And yes, all things will be well. All manner of things are well. Simultaneously, we hold that all at once. So, there is a sweeping karma of themes. I suggest when you have a Dharma talk like this, is so, hopefully something touched somebody, something kind of struck you. Well, I encourage you reflect on it, ponder it, look into it, see how can I live my life in such a way that is in harmony with the deepest wisdom that I know. Because that's fundamentally all of practice is about, is opening up to our own deep wisdom and then trying to figure out how to live my life in such a way that it reflects the wisdom and that it brings the spirit of loving kindness and sympathetic joy into the world.